Chapter Sixteen of Travels with a Donkey in the Cévennes by Robert Louis Stevenson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Patrick Wallace. The Heart of the Country. I was now drawing near to Cassagnas, a cluster of black roofs upon the hillside, in this wild valley among chestnut gardens, and looked upon in the clear air by many rocky peaks. The road along the Mimant is yet new, nor have the mountaineers recovered their surprise when the first cart arrived at Cassagnas. But although it lay thus apart from the current of men's business, this hamlet had already made a figure in the history of France. Hard by, in caverns of the mountain, was one of the five arsenals of the Camisards, where they laid up clothes and corn and arms against necessity, forged bayonets and sabres, and made themselves gunpowder with willow charcoal and saltpetre boiled in kettles. To the same caves, amid this multifarious industry, the sick and wounded were brought up to heal, and there they were visited by the two surgeons, Chabrier and Tavant, and secretly nursed by women of the neighbourhood. Of the five legions into which the Camisards were divided, it was the oldest and the most obscure that had its magazines by Cassagnas. This was the band of Spirit Seguier, men who had joined their voices with his in the 68th Psalm as they marched down by night on the archpriest of the Cévennes. Seguier, promoted to heaven, was succeeded by Salomon Couderc, whom Cavalier treats in his memoirs as chaplain-general to the whole army of the Camisards. He was a prophet, a great reader of the heart, who admitted people to the sacrament or refused them by intentively viewing every man between the eyes and had most of the scriptures off by rote and this was surely happy since in a surprise in august seventeen o three he lost his mule his portfolios and his bible it is only strange that they were not surprised more often and more effectually for this legion of cassagnas was truly patriarchal in its theory of war and camped without sentries leaving that duty to the angels of the god for whom they fought. This is a token not only of their faith, but of the trackless country where they harboured. Monsieur de Caladon, taking a stroll one fine day, walked without warning into their midst, as he might have walked into a flock of sheep in a plain, and found some asleep and some awake and psalm-singing. A traitor had need of no recommendation to insinuate himself among their ranks beyond his faculty of singing psalms and even the prophet Salomon took him into a particular friendship. Thus, among their intricate hills, the rustic troops subsisted, and history can attribute few exploits to them but sacraments and ecstasies. People of this tough and simple stock will not, as I have just been saying, prove variable in religion, nor will they get nearer to apostasy than a mere external conformity, like that of Naaman in the house of Rimon. When Louis the Sixteenth, in the words of the edict, convinced by the uselessness of a century of persecutions, and rather from necessity than sympathy, granted at last a royal grace of toleration, Cassagnas was still Protestant, and to a man it is so to this day. There is indeed one family that is not Protestant, but neither is it Catholic. It is that of a Catholic curé in revolt, who has taken to his bosom a schoolmistress and his conduct, it is worth noting, is disapproved by the Protestant villagers. 
it is a bad idea for a man said one to go back from his engagements the villagers whom i saw seemed intelligent after a countrified fashion and were all plain and dignified in manner as a protestant myself i was well looked upon and my acquaintance with history gained me further respect for we had something not unlike a religious controversy at table a gendarme and a merchant with whom i dined being both strangers to the place and catholics the young men of the house stood round and supported me and the whole discussion was tolerantly conducted and surprised a man brought up among the infinitesimal and contentious differences of scotland the merchant indeed grew a little warm and was far less pleased than some others with my historical acquirements but the gendarme was mighty easy over it all it's a bad idea for a man to change said he and the remark was generally applauded that was not the opinion of the priest and soldier at our lady of the snows but this is a different race and perhaps the same great-heartedness that upheld them to resist now enables them to differ in a kind spirit for courage respects courage but where a faith has been trodden out we may look for a mean and narrow population the true work of bruce and wallace was the union of the nations not that they should stand apart a while longer skirmishing upon their borders but that when the time came they might unite with self-respect the merchant was much interested in my journey and thought it dangerous to sleep afield there are the wolves said he and then it is known you are an englishman the english have always long purses and it might very well enter into someone's head to deal you an ill blow some night i told him i was not much afraid of such accidents and at any rate judged it unwise to dwell upon alarms or consider small perils in the arrangement of life life itself i submitted was far too risky a business as a whole to make each additional particular of danger worth regard something said i might burst in your inside any day of the week and there would be an end of you if you were locked in your room with three turns of the key cependant said he coucher dehors god said i is everywhere cependant coucher dehors he repeated and his voice was eloquent of terror he was the only person in all my voyage who saw anything hardy in so simple a proceeding although many considered it superfluous only one on the other hand professed much delight in the idea and that was my plymouth brother who cried out when i told him i sometimes preferred sleeping under the stars to a close and noisy alehouse now i see that you know the lord the merchant asked me for one of my cards as i was leaving for he said i should be something to talk of in the future and desired me to make a note of his request and reason a desire with which i have thus complied a little after two i struck across the mimant and took a rugged path southward up a hillside covered with loose stones and tufts of heather at the top as is the habit of the country the path disappeared and i left my she-ass munching heather and went forward alone to seek a road i was now on the separation of two vast watersheds behind me all the streams were bound for the garonne and the western ocean before me was the basin of the rhone hence as from the lozere you can see in clear weather the shining of the gulf of lyon and perhaps from here 
the soldiers of Salomon may have watched for the topsails of Sir Cloudsley Shovel, and the long-promised aid from England. You may take this ridge as lying in the heart of the country of the Camisards. Four of the five legions camped all round it and almost within view, Salomon and Joanny to the north, Castanet and Roland to the south, and when Julien had finished his famous work, the devastation of the High Cévennes, which lasted all through October and November 1703, and during which four hundred and sixty villages and hamlets were with fire and pickaxe utterly subverted, a man standing on this eminence would have looked forth upon a silent, smokeless, and dispeopled land. Time and man's activity have now repaired these ruins. Cassagnas is once more roofed and sending up domestic smoke, and in the chestnut gardens, in low and leafy corners, many a prosperous farmer returns when the day's work is done to his children and bright hearth. And still it was perhaps the wildest view of all my journey. Peak upon peak, chain upon chain of hills ran surging southward, channelled and sculptured by the winter streams, feathered from head to foot with chestnuts, and here and there breaking out into a coronal of cliffs. The sun, which was still far from setting, sent a drift of misty gold across the hilltops, but the valleys were already plunged in a profound and quiet shadow. A very old shepherd, hobbling on a pair of sticks, and wearing a black cap of liberty, as if in honour of his nearness to the grave, directed me to the road for Saint-Germain-de-Calberte. There was something solemn in the isolation of this infirm and ancient creature. Where he dwelt, how he got upon this high ridge, or how he proposed to get down again, were more than I could fancy. Not far off upon my right was the famous Plan de Fontmorte, where Poul, with his Armenian sabre, slashed down the Camisard of Séguier. This, methought, might be some Rip Van Winkle of the war, who had lost his comrades, fleeing before Poul, and wandered ever since upon the mountains. It might be news to him that Cavalier had surrendered, or Roland had fallen fighting with his back against an olive. And while I was thus working on my fancy, I heard him hailing in broken tones, and saw him waving me to come back with one of his two sticks. I had already got some way past him, but leaving Modestine once more, retraced my steps. Alas, it was a very commonplace affair. The old gentleman had forgot to ask the peddler what he sold, and wished to remedy this neglect. I told him sternly, Nothing. Nothing? cried he. I repeated, Nothing, and made off. It's odd to think of, but perhaps I thus became as inexplicable to the old man as he had been to me. The road lay under chestnuts, and though I saw a hamlet or two below me in the vale, at many lone houses of the chestnut farmers, it was a very solitary march all afternoon, and the evening began early underneath the trees. But I heard the voice of a woman singing some sad, old, endless ballad not far off. It seemed to be about love and a belle amoureux, her handsome sweetheart, and I wished I could have taken up the strain and answered her as I went upon my invisible woodland way weaving, like Pippa in the poem, my own thoughts with hers. What could I have told her? Little enough, and yet all the heart requires, how the world gives and takes away 
and brings sweethearts near only to separate them again into distant and strange lands but to love is the great amulet which makes the world a garden and hope which comes to all outwears the accidents of life and reaches with tremulous hand beyond the grave and death easy to say yea but also by god's mercy both easy and grateful to believe we struck at last into a wide, white high-road, carpeted with noiseless dust. The night had come. The moon had been shining for a long while upon the opposite mountain. When, on turning a corner, my donkey and I issued ourselves into her light. I had emptied out my brandy at Florac, for I could bear the stuff no longer, and replaced it with some generous and scented volnay. And now I drank to the moon's sacred majesty upon the road. It was but a couple of mouthfuls, yet I became thenceforth unconscious of my limbs, and my blood flowed with luxury. Even Modestine was inspired by this purified nocturnal sunshine, and bestirred her little hoofs as to a livelier measure. The road wound and descended swiftly among masses of chestnuts. Hot dust rose from our feet and flowed away. Our two shadows, mine deformed with a knapsack, hers comically bestridden by the pack, now lay before us, clearly outlined on the road, and now, as we turned a corner, went off into the ghostly distance, and sailed along the mountain like clouds. From time to time a warm wind rustled down the valley, and set all the chestnuts dangling their bunches of foliage and fruit. The ear was filled with whispering music, and the shadows danced in tune. And next moment the breeze had gone by, and in all the valley nothing moved except to our travelling feet. On the opposite slope the monstrous ribs and gullies of the mountain were faintly designed in the moonshine, and high overhead, in some lone house, there burned one lighted window, one square spark of red in the huge field of sad nocturnal colouring. At a certain point, as I went downward, turning many acute angles, the moon disappeared behind the hill, and I pursued my way in great darkness, until another turning shot me, without preparation, into Saint-Germain-de-Calbert. The place was asleep and silent, and buried in opaque night. Only from a single open door some lamplight escaped upon the road to show me that I was come among men's habitations. The two last gossips of the evening, still talking by a garden wall, directed me to the inn. The landlady was getting her chicks to bed. The fire was already out, and had, not without grumbling, to be rekindled. Half an hour later, and I must have gone supperless to roost. End of chapter 16